What's up? How y'all doing? We're going we're gonna to do a, a different series for the next two weeks. And let me tell you what I want to do. I want to begin with uh, just praying because we're, what we're going to talk about today and next week is uh, we're going to talk about who we are as a church. Why is this church here? What are we trying to do? Um, we've, been, we've been around now for about eight years. Some of you have been here since day one. Some of you, maybe this is day one for you. Whatever that is, wherever you are on that spectrum, uh, I want everybody kind of to understand who we are, what we're trying to do. And so we're going to do that today and next week. And, uh, and so what I want to do, I want to begin with a word of prayer, that just that we'll all kind of understand that and, and all uh, uh, figure out where, what our place is in God's work in this community through this church. So let me pray. Father God, this is your day. This is your church. Uh, this building is yours. This world is yours. And we want to be your people. And so I pray that as we talk about uh, your church for the next two weeks, we uh, ask that you would change our hearts that you'd begin that in me, that you'd begin that in our leadership, and uh, every person that's a part of Freedom Fellowship that's, that calls this their church, that uh, tells people that's where they go to church, that they would have a, a very clear understanding of who you are, what you want this church to do, and what their role is in it. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We, uh, like I said a while ago, we're, we're about eight years old. This church, we started meeting in 2005 right here, uh, March 20 some odd, I can forget the date now, 2005. We met right here in this building, uh, in this room. And, uh, and but even before that, we were working on, there was a group of people that were working on starting a new church and, and all that kind of good stuff. And, and, uh, and, and so today, what I want us to talk about is I want us to talk about the mission of Freedom Fellowship. What is our mission? What are we trying to accomplish? A mission is a fancy word that just means that's the goal, that's what we're shooting for, that's where we're headed to, that's what we're trying to be, trying to, to accomplish in this community. And so uh, back before we started this church, before we started having services, public worship services here, uh, God had been working in my heart for, for a couple of years about um, a different way to do church, and not that an, another way is not good, but just a different way. I, I felt like uh, that, that this community needed a church that was a little bit different than at that time, kind of what was being offered, and, and so God started to work in my heart about that, and and I struggled through that, tried to figure out what that meant for me. And, and uh, this idea kept coming into my mind. It was, and I know that it, what it was, it was God like whispering it into my ear. This idea kept coming into my mind about freedom. And not, uh, not freedom like we're going to celebrate. Maybe if, if you went to downtown Greer last night or if you're going to sit in the Ingalls parking lot in the back of your truck like I am tonight and watch fireworks. Uh, not that kind of freedom. That, that freedom is good. Freedom from, you know, tyranny and being able to, to vote in who you want to vote in or vote out who you want to vote out. That's good too. But a bigger type of freedom. And this idea kept coming back to me. And, and, uh, and really, before we started meeting, God kind of just spoke into my heart what the mission of this church should be. And, and I want you to know that after eight years, the mission is no different. We're still trying to do the same thing we've always been trying to do. And, 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 and our mission from day one to today is, is to help people discover true freedom that only comes from Jesus Christ. To help people discover true freedom that only comes from Jesus Christ. 
See, we, and I know this from personal experience, Uh, I know this from observing uh, people, from talking to folks, and I know it from what the Bible says. All of us, at one time or another, are a slave to something. We all are. At, At some point in our life, we are a slave to something. Some people are slaves to their jobs. Uh, some people are slaves to a relationship that they're in. Some people are slaves to money. Some people are slaves to the pursuit of more money. Some people are slaves to, to bad things like some type of uh, harmful addiction. Uh, but all of us are slaves to something at one point or another. And the reason why that is, is because the reason we're slaves to these earthly things like money and, and, a, and a relationship and a job and all that kind of stuff, the reason that happens is because all of us ultimately enter this world, when we are born into this world, we enter this world as slaves to sin. Now, I understand just right up front, if you're, this is your first Sunday in church or you haven't been in church long, it's like sin is this, who even knows what sin is anymore? It, sin is this word that, that people don't like to talk about and what used to be sin now is celebrated and all this kind of stuff. But sin, very clearly from what the, the Scripture teaches us, what the Bible says, sin is anything that goes against what God had planned for us. And the thing, the thing about being a slave to sin is, is that, that, that what that does for us is it, it makes everything on this earth, it, it makes it not satisfying to us, and so we know there's something more. See, all of us are slaves to sin. Jesus said that in John 8, 34. Jesus was talking to these group of, of people that were, they were Jews, they were uh, the nation of Israel, and he was talking to them in John 8, 34. He said this, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And so maybe you're th- right there now thinking, okay, cool, it's only those who sin are a slave to sin, so maybe I'm off the hook because maybe I haven't sinned. Well, I think you probably know better than that, but just, just to let you know that the Bible says has something to say about that, the apostle is a guy named the Apostle Paul. He wrote a letter to a church in Rome, and it's called the Letter to Romans. And Romans 3.23, this is what Paul said about that, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the scripture, what the Bible teaches is very clear, is that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We're chained up by it. We can't break those chains ourselves. And it says that everybody has sinned. So all of us, me, you, your sweet old grandma, everybody has sinned and is a slave to sin. And what slavery to sin does is it makes us look for freedom. And we will search for freedom. We're searching for spiritual freedom, but we don't really know that's what we're searching for. And so we'll look in all these different places. And that's why we end up being slaves to things that are bad, like uh, things that are damaging to us, like drugs or, or things like that. And even we'll be slave to, slaves to things that are good, like a job or like a relationship. And so suddenly we find ourselves not only slaves to sin, which we're not really sure about, but we know we're a slave to our smartphone. We know we're a slave to our Facebook or our email account or to Target because every month the credit card bill comes in and we owe more money there again this month than we did last month. And we realize that we're slaves, but we don't know what causes all that. There's a, uh, I want you to look, I got a picture of a guy. Um, Look at this guy right here. Anybody know who that is? As Tom Brady. He, uh, I, I can't stand Tom Brady because he's such a pretty boy. But uh, I like a real quarterback, you know, somebody who's more manly. But anyway, Tom Brady, there he is. 
with his dimpled chin and his pretty boy good looks and all that kind of stuff. And he, Tom Brady is, is the quarterback of the New England Patriots, and they've won three Super Bowls since he's been quarterback. And every year they're up at the top of the, of the National Football League, and, and he's just an amazing player. And Tom Brady would seem to, from the outside, have it all. He's married to a model. He has more money than any of us will probably ever make in our lives. He's risen to the top of his profession. So he seems to have it all. Well, you, you might find this interesting. There was a few years ago, Tom Brady was on 60 Minutes, on the TV show 60 Minutes. And they were interviewing him. And this is what he said. This was his exact words. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I think there's got to be more than this. Tom Brady, in the, in the eyes of the world, he's got it. He's got what everybody is searching for. But even he, in the midst of all that, in the midst of success, in the midst of being married to a model, in the midst of making money, he looks at his life and says, this isn't satisfying to me. This isn't filling what the hole that I have in my heart, this isn't filling it up. And he's looking for the answer. See, what Tom Brady's searching for is he's searching for spiritual freedom. He doesn't realize that, but that's, he's a slave to sin, just like all of us enter this world as slaves to sin, and that's what he's searching for. And he hasn't found it in success on the football field. He hasn't found it in a marriage uh, to somebody. He hasn't found it in money, but he's still searching. There's a, there's a biblical example of this in the Old Testament. There's a man named Solomon. He was king. His father was King David. And, uh, and, and David, we talked about last week, and, and David had this son named Solomon, and Solomon became king, and Solomon had it all. Solomon was richer than anybody else in the world. He was more powerful than anybody else in the world. He had not just one wife like Tom Brady, but Solomon had, the scripture tells us, hundreds of wives. And then he had these harems and concubines that they were just people that he had sex with, so he didn't even have to really do the husbandly duties with them. He just had them on the side. Solomon had it all, had everything that the world could offer. Look what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. This is what he talked about his own life. He said this, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. There's three things that motivate a man. Ladies, I don't know if you know this, but I'm about to clue you in. Most men will make decisions in their life based on three things. Money, sex, or power. That's what every man wants. Now you might say as a man, man, I don't want that. All right, go without those for about a month and a half and see how you feel. 
Money, sex, and power. That's what every man wants. Solomon had all of it. He had more money than any of us are ever going to have. He had the opportunity to have sex more than any of us are ever going to have an opportunity to have. He had more power than any of us are ever going to have. And after all of that, the three things that motivate a man's heart, he said, it's not enough. All of it is meaningless. He said that he didn't deny himself anything. If he saw something, he bought it. If he you know, ran across something he needed, he took it. He built one of his own. He had everything that you can have, and he said, in the end, it left him empty. See, the only thing that's going to fill our hearts, the only thing that's going to set us free from slavery to sin, is what Jesus did on the cross. The death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection, what that did for us is it unlocked the chains of sin, of slavery to sin that we were born into. And if we will give our lives to Jesus, if we will accept the fact that he died on the cross, that his death was real, that his resurrection was real, that that he can forgive us of that sin, if we will accept that, then we can be set free from sin, then we can live as free people, and then we're not searching for all these different things to make us happy, because now we're satisfied in Jesus, and we're not looking for satisfaction in money, sex, power, drugs, friendships, all those other things that we look for it in. And as a church, what should drive us, what I want to, to, to be the driving force of Freedom Fellowship is that all of us understand that we are surrounded by people who are slaves to sin, just like Tom Brady, just like Solomon was, that these people, they are, they are searching for all over for, for satisfaction. They can't find it. And we have the opportunity to help them discover true freedom that's only found in Jesus Christ. That is our mission. That's why this church exists. That's what should drive us every day. See, Jesus said in John 8, 36, in John 8, 34, he said that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And then two verses later, in 8, 36, he said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's the only way. Now, here's the, there's two tricky things about this, though, for us that live where we live. The, the, first, the first thing that's tricky about this, and this is, this is really for people that live anywhere, is I said this a while ago, people are slaves to sin, but they don't know that's what, what their problem is. They don't know they're a slave to sin. They just know they're not satisfied. They just know they're not happy, and they're searching for an answer. But they don't know that it's a spiritual problem. They don't know that it's a slavery to sin. See, there's, a, there, there's two ways of shopping. Or there's probably, uh, you ladies could tell me differently. There's probably like a lot of ways of shopping. But in my, the way I see it, there's two ways of shopping. The first way you can shop is you just leave your house You've got either a pocket full of money or, more dangerous than that, a pocket full of credit cards, and you go to Walmart or Target or the mall or Main Street Greenville, wherever it is you like to go, or if you, you know, are really, you know, high, high dollar, you drive down to Charleston or Atlanta, somewhere like that, and, and you go there, and you're not really looking for anything in particular, and you just start seeing stuff, and it's like, ooh, I like that, and you buy that, and ooh, this will look good on me, and you buy that, and I've always wanted one of those, and you buy that, and that's shiny, I'll take that, and my next door neighbor has one of those, so I'll get three of them, and you just start, and, and that's one way of shopping. Now, the other way of shopping is you know exactly what you need or you want. You decide beforehand what you're going to spend on it. 
and you go to the place that has it, you pay for it and take it home, or even better than that, what most of you probably do, you go online and you look around and you find who's got the best price and you go click, click, and then three days later it's on your front door. Now that's two different ways of shopping. One is you know what you're looking for, you pay what you want to pay for it. The other is you're just buying whatever catches your attention. I believe that most people in this world are walking through life shopping through life like the number one set of shoppers. They don't really know what they're looking for. They just know they want something, and they're just latching on to whatever they can get. Oh, I'll do this hobby for a while, and maybe that will make me complete. If I can just do that, and, and they try that for a while, and then they got tired of that, or I'll be in this relationship for a while until, oh, there's something that looks better. I'll leave this relationship, and I'll go to that relationship. And they just move around from thing to thing, and they're constantly looking. They're shopping through life, trying to find something to make them happy. And so the, the difficult thing is, is that that we've got to help people understand. That's why the, I like the fact that our mission statement says that, that we want to help people discover true freedom that only comes from Jesus Christ. Because people don't know that's what they're looking for. So we've got to help them figure out that that's what they need. We've got to live our lives in such a way that they see that we live differently and then we'll have an opportunity to talk to them and tell them what brings us satisfaction. We don't have to go up to them and say, hey, you're stupid because you're trying to find satisfaction in money. Don't do that. That's not a good way to start off the conversation. But if you love them and you begin a relationship with them, they'll see that maybe you don't find your satisfaction in money or a job or these other things, and they'll want to know about it. And we have to help them discover what they really need. And what they really need is Jesus. Now, that's the first tricky thing. The other tricky thing is, is, is about where we live. Uh, we live, I love where we live. I've, I, I told y'all last week, I've lived, in September, I will have lived uh, right here in, in this community for 19 years. I've been here longer than I've been anywhere else in my life. It's a great place to live. Folks are good. Uh, wonderful, you know, uh, climate most of the time. Just everything's good here. The only, the only problem I have with where I live is that I'm too far from the beach, but that's, that's okay. And so this is a great place to live. Did you know that in Greenville County, that... 94% of the people who live in Greenville County, 94%, if you ask them, they'll tell you they're a Christian. 94% of people in Greenville County will tell you that they've already been set free from, from the slavery to sin. 94%. Now, if that's true, then we really, we're pretty much done here. This is good. It was good we started this church, but 94% of people already know Jesus. We really ought to just pack up and all of us move together down closer to the beach where there's a lot of people who don't know Jesus. That's what I'm praying, God. No, I'm just kidding. And, uh, <clears throat> so if that's true, if that's true, then, then we really, th this church isn't really needed that much. But let me tell you another interesting uh, statistic. The place that Sherry, before we moved here, I grew up in Columbia uh, went to school down in Charleston, met my wife, uh, we got married, and uh, after we got married, we moved six months later to New Orleans, Louisiana to go to seminary. That's a school, that's a big fancy word for schools that teach guys to do what I'm doing up here. And, uh, and so we went to New Orleans Baptist Seminary, uh, and, and we moved down there January 1st, 1992. Moved, lived there until we moved here. Did you know, now what's New Orleans known for? Well, New Orleans is known for getting drunk, having sex, 
uh, partying, violent crime, poverty. That's what New Orleans is known for. Did you know that the number of people that live in the city of New Orleans, that when they're surveyed, you know the percentage of people that tell you that they're followers of Jesus? 94%. The exact same percentage as Greenville County, South Carolina. Now, I think that a lot of those people don't know what it means to be a Christian. Don't you think that? It just seems to me that if 94% of people that live in New Orleans, and I live there, that is like living on Mars. 94% of people that live in New Orleans say, yeah, I love Jesus. And then you look at their lives and you go, no, you don't. And it's no different where we live now in Greenville County. We've got 94% of people that say, yes, I love Jesus. I'm a follower of Christ. But then you look at their lives and you say, I don't think you understand what that's all about. A friend of mine who lives here in town, um, I was having a conversation with him a couple months ago, and uh, he was talking to me about somebody that that, uh, he had worked for at one time and done some business with, and this guy, man, this guy cheated him out of money, he, uh, he, he... made promises that he didn't keep. He talked bad about my friend behind his back. Um, he, you know, reneged on a bunch of business. I mean, this guy just did him dirty, just really did him dirty. And my friend, talking about the guy who had done him dirty, he said this. He said, you know, everybody in Greer is a Christian. He said, but what that guy says has not changed his heart. And I thought, man, that is so true. See, people around here, they look at it and and they're filling out a form and they go, well, I'm not Jewish, I must be Christian. And they fill it out like it's some kind of, like being white or being black or being Hispanic. It's your race. Well, I was born in the South, I drink sweet tea and I like tater salad, I must be a Christian. That's what they think. And see, if we believe the 94%, then, then we don't need this church anymore. But I ignore that number. I don't think 94... I I don't even think close to 94% of the people in Greenville County are Christians. That's a bogus number. Let me tell you a number that that I pay more attention to, a number that drives me, a number that that lets me know that we need a church like Freedom Fellowship in this community. The last time I checked, now this number is about three years old, so it could be even higher now. But the last time I checked, 61% of people who live in Greenville County do not participate in church at at the church that teaches the gospel at all. 61% of people do not attend a church that teaches the gospel at all. That's six out of ten people. You go to Ingalls, you go to QT, you go to Walmart, wherever it is you go, ten people that you see, over half of them need to be in a church like this or need to be in a church that teaches the gospel. Over half of them. And see... It's not, that, it's not that we're lacking churches in Greenville County. I drove past four of them this morning on my way to get here. From my house, I drove past four churches to get here. Some of you probably drove past more than that. You might have driven past 10 or 12. There are churches everywhere. But did you realize that if everybody, if 100% of the people in Greenville County all decided next Sunday, we got to be in church, that even all the churches that we have, all these buildings that you see around, that there would not be enough seats for everybody who lives in Greenville County. The problem is that there's 
It's not a problem that we don't have enough lost people that need Jesus or don't have enough churches. The thing is, is that we have to live in such a way that we let people know that what they need is to be set free from their sin. See, when people say, hey, uh, you know, I believe in Jesus, that's going to get me into heaven. You know what Jesus had to say about that in the book of Matthew? He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only him who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What that means is that one day when we die, there's going to be people knocking on the door saying, hey, but I, I filled out a form one time and said, I believed in Jesus. I, I liked the Jesus page on Facebook. I became a fan of Jesus on Facebook. Shouldn't that get me into heaven? No, what, what we've got to do is we have to help people discover that it's more than just saying it, that it's allowing Jesus to change their hearts. And there's six out of ten people in our community that need Jesus. See, that's, that's, really, the answer to, that's really the answer to everything. There's, you watch the news and there's so much searching out there for help for different things. And I believe me, I, we need different programs to help people. That's, all that's good stuff. But I want to tell you something. There's no lasting hope for any social issue, for any political issue. There's no lasting hope outside of Jesus. There's no hope for a broken marriage outside of Jesus. There's no hope for unemployment outside of Jesus. There's no hope for hungry children in our community outside of Jesus. There's no hope for the woman who looks at herself in the mirror and absolutely hates her appearance outside of Jesus. There's no hope for the child in an abusive home outside of Jesus. There's no hope for the man who comes home every day from work discouraged and he doesn't want to go on with life outside of Jesus. Jesus is the only hope for all of that. And we have the opportunity as a church to help people understand that, to help them discover that, no, not, you don't need a new job necessarily. You need a relationship with Jesus. You don't need a new house necessarily. You need a relationship with Jesus. You don't need more money. You need a relationship with Jesus. And we have the opportunity to do that. And that's what should drive us as a church. See, there was a, a guy named um, Bill Hybels. He started a church uh, several years ago in Chicago called Willow Creek Community Church. and It was one of the first churches in America that kind of did church the way we do and did things a little bit differently. And uh, Bill Hybels said something several years ago that, that I just go around and I quote to people all the time because I think it's so true. And he said this. He said, I believe the local church is the hope of the world. I believe the local church is the hope of the world. And I do too. I, I'm not looking for hope in the government. I'm not looking for hope in, a, in a, some kind of other uh, group out there trying to make social change. I believe that the hope of the world is in the church because the church is the only thing on this earth that Jesus established. Much to maybe your surprise, Jesus didn't establish the United States of America. It's a great country. I don't want to live anywhere else. But Jesus didn't write the Constitution. Jesus established the church. And he said, it's the church who's going to change the world. He said, it's the church that's going to be so powerful that the very gates of hell will not be able to stop what the church can do on the face of the earth. That is why we started this church. That's why we keep doing what we're doing. Because we believe that the, that the only hope this community has is Jesus. And what Jesus has asked us to do is he wants us to participate in his work by telling people about him. See, it's such a cool, cool thing to think about. 
that Jesus is the only hope people have, and that Jesus has chosen us to share that message. Do you, don't you think Jesus is big enough to do that on his own without us? I mean, I do. I think God, if he wanted to, he could have invented the internet a long time before Al Gore did, and he could have you know, invented Facebook a long time before Mark Zuckerberg did, and he could have gotten the word out about himself in a lot of different ways you know, through the computers and stuff that we can't even think of. He didn't need our help. But what he has chosen to do is he said, I'm going to establish the church, and then I want you as my people to take the message outside of these walls. I want you to take the message to the school that you go to August through June every year. I want you to take this message to the place you go to work Monday through Friday. I want you to take this message to the golf course that you spend every Saturday on. I want you to take this message to the lake that you spend every weekend on. That's what Jesus said that he wants us to do the work that he's given us to do, which is helping people discover true freedom that only comes through him. See, when we started this church eight years ago, if you had sat down and interviewed me, hey, Cliff, you're starting a new church. What do you expect? Man, I had all kind of crazy expectations, and I'd have told you things that, you know, just I'd have just told you all kind of stuff because I, you know, I had expectations. I didn't know what was going to happen, and I had all kind of confidence in me. And man, I, the people hadn't heard me preach yet. Wait till they do. It's just be people lying in the aisles to get saved. It's going to be amazing, right? Wait till you hear our band. They're going to make you too sound like a bunch of losers, right? And so I had all these high expectations. Eight years later, I still have high expectations. Now they're different. I think they're a lot more mature, but I have high expectations. Why? Not because of me, but because I believe that God called us to start this church, that Jesus established the church on the earth, and he's going to bless it. He's going to do what he wants to do with this church. And it's up to us now to say, are we going to get on board with that? Are we going to get on board with the mission of Freedom Fellowship? We're going to decide that, you know what? Helping people discover true freedom that only comes from Jesus Christ, that's something I can get behind. That's something I can live my life for. That's something that's more important than anything else I've got going on, and I want to commit myself to that. That's really the question that I want to ask you today. Over eight years, there's a lot of things I do different. There's a lot of things that I do exactly the same. But here's what I'm most proud of after eight years is that there are people today that are going to spend eternity in heaven because of what has happened at this church. That's what I'm most proud of. And that has nothing to do with me and everything to do with Jesus. There are people today that when they die, when they get to heaven and they say, Lord, Lord, Jesus is going to say, come on in. And it's because of what happened to them through the ministry of Freedom Fellowship. Because they heard the gospel here, they were shown the gospel by someone's life, they were invited to someone's home at a life group, and they opened up the scripture for the first time, and it made sense to them, they made friendships, they were loved on, and now their eternity is different, and they are going to spend eternity forever in heaven with Jesus. And it happened through the ministry of this church. That's what I'm most proud of. And here's what drives me to go on again next week, to come back to the same building, unload the same stuff that we've been unloading for eight years. Stand on the same stage. What drives me is, is that there's still the majority of people out there, 61%, 
they need to have their eternities changed. So I want to ask you today, do you want to be a part of that? I had a conversation a few months ago with a guy who I respect a lot, and um, he's done this, what we do, he's done this before. He started a church. And um, he knows how hard it is. He knows the difficulties of being a new church, being a church without a building, uh, all that kind of stuff. And he told me something that was inspiring to me. Because he knows our church, he knows this community, lives in this community. And he said, Cliff, he said, I'm praying for you that you and the rest of the church will keep doing what they're doing. He said, because our community needs a church like Freedom Fellowship. And the reason that was so encouraging to me is because he wasn't one of us. My staff, they're good at saying stuff like that all the time. Our elders are good at saying stuff like that all the time. My wife, she's the biggest encourager I've got. She's good at saying stuff like that. And that's, I love to hear that. But it was so encouraging to hear it from somebody who wasn't a part of this church to say, this community needs Freedom Fellowship. This community needs a church like this. So I, I want to ask you to, to do something this morning. I want you this morning to, uh, this, this, I want, this is open down here for you to come down and kneel down and pray or lay down and pray or stand up and pray, whatever you feel like doing, jumping up and down, we're, we're not opposed to that either. Um, but if you pull snakes out, we're going to make you go outside. <laughs> but this is open down here for you to come down. And if you would say, not to me, but if you would say to Jesus, I believe in what this church is doing and I, I can get behind that. In just a second, I want you to come down here and you can just get on your knees and pray as long as you want to. Now, Maybe you've been here a long time, and you're like, man, I've been saying that. But, but there's a part of you that says, you know what, there was a time when I can remember when I was a whole lot more excited about it than I am today. There was a time when I can remember that I couldn't wait to invite everybody I saw to freedom. And to be honest with you, I haven't asked anybody to, to join me at church in at least a year, two years, or three years. This place is for you, too, to come down and say, God, help me to remember what the mission is and help me to live that out every day. So if you would say, that, if you would say today, hey, this is it, this is, this is the mission of, of this church to help people discover true freedom that only comes from Jesus Christ, I believe in that. I want to I commit my life to that. I just want you to come and I want you to pray. And we're going to pray together. Once everybody's down here that's going to come, I'll pray for us. You pray silently, I'll pray for us. And then we'll, we'll go out of here with a song. So come now if that's what your prayer is.